Welcome to Widowed But Not Alone with Todd Bessie of Credom Wealth Partners, the podcast designed to help people who have lost a partner and those people who support them. We will share stories and resources that will help support your needs, address your financial concerns, and guide you to believe in your future. Now, on to the show. After losing your spouse, you may conclude that moving is a possible next step. Your current home might be too big, too far from your kids, too much to maintain, or just not the place for you as you look ahead. No matter how you come to this conclusion, making the decision to relocate is a big one. And part of that process is understanding how you will pay for the new home. In conversations with our widowed clients, we often talk about the many issues to consider when financing the purchase of a new home. We look at the purchase price, the cash available for down payment, and the monthly payment that works within their budget. The next logical step, even before identifying a property and putting in an offer, is to consult with a professional mortgage advisor. The mortgage advisor can give you a better assessment of market conditions, the interest rate environment, and what it takes to get through the process of qualifying for a mortgage and closing on the purchase of your new home. Today, my guest is Howard Fiedler. He has over 28 years of experience in the mortgage business and has been a mortgage advisor at Wintrust Mortgage since 2012. Howard, welcome to the Widow But Not Alone podcast. Thank you, Todd. I'm thrilled to be here today. So Howard, you know, market conditions have changed quite a bit in 2022 for home buyers and sellers, and now you're dealing with a pretty volatile mortgage market. What are the issues your clients are facing right now as they consider financing the purchase of a home? Uh, the biggest challenge that my buyers are having is that sellers are not accepting home sale contingent offers. So what that means is that the seller is not willing to wait for the buyer to sell and close on their current home before allowing them to purchase the new one. So that's definitely a challenge because even though housing market's slowing a bit, there are still multiple offers when a nice home, let's say a ranch home in a very nice, quiet neighborhood comes on the market. There's multiple people's that people that still want to purchase that. So that being said, the sellers are not accepting a traditional home sale contingency. So we just need to get a little bit more creative in finding ways to get our borrowers the financing they need to purchase a home and not have that contingency hanging over their head. So if that's you know one of one of the issues that's that's you know the buyers are facing at the moment is you know, lots of competitors searching for the, for a home to buy, you know, the, the mortgage market's changed quite a bit too, right? So now you, you not only got the issue of trying to find the right home and making a quick decision and putting in the right offer, but now the, you know, I mean, rates since the beginning of the year have changed to quite a bit. I mean, what, what, what do you see has happened there and how's that affecting the mentality of, of a buyer at the moment? Sure. That has definitely been the, the second biggest challenge. So in January, Traditional 30-year fixed rates were about three and a quarter percent. Today, they're about seven and a quarter. So we're talking a very, very significant increase in interest rates in a very short period of time. And again, the 28 years I've done this, this is the swiftest move up I've seen. So that's definitely creating some challenges as far as qualifying for the next mortgage. So again, we need to get a little bit more creative in how we're getting that done. But um, you know, we're still able to do it once once I know the the facts of the the situation and the scenario. I've still had tremendous luck coming up with scenarios for all the clients, but yeah, the, 
the the higher rates and the sellers refusing to accept contingencies are the biggest challenges, but we are, you know, we've got the tools to work our way through those um, issues. Got it. So, so, you know, as we've discussed, you know, Howard here, our listeners are widows or the family members of someone that has lost a spouse. And so when you are working with a widowed client, what are some of the issues that they need to consider when financing the purchase of a new home? Sure. So I think the most important thing is for the client to really find the next home that they want to be very, very happy in. So the the financing part of it's a huge part of the puzzle. But to me, you know, especially in a widow situation, clients already gone through, you know, tremendous loss, grieving, um, stress, things like that. So what I really want is the client to identify, you know, where they want to live. Is it, do they want a single family, townhome, condo? Um, and then really just find, find the home that's going to make them truly happy. Because again, having gone through some, some difficult times recently, we, we really, really want them to be happy in this, in this home and have that sense of, you know, calm and steadiness that a, that a home can provide. So when that happens and you get someone like myself or another mortgage professional involved, we can, we can make it happen again, working with a professional like Todd as well. When, when the client knows where they want to go and they identify a home, we can, you know, more times than, you know, almost all the time we can make it happen and, and have that piece of the puzzle taken care of. So let's say they go through that process, right? And, and they get comfortable with something that's going to work for them, a place that they feel like they could live in for, you know, extended period of time. Can you chat a little bit about the requirements today in today's market to qualify for a mortgage, the types of mortgage products someone might consider and kind of the sure. next steps there? Sure. So the main thing is the government kind of cracked down on the mortgage lending industry as some fallout from the financial crisis in 2008. So the main thing is to qualify for a mortgage, um, think of like a three-legged stool, an old wooden three-legged stool is the example I like to give where we have to verify your credit, your down payment, and your income. So most people in the situation that we're talking about are going to have good credit and they're going to have plenty of down payment. The challenge is the income. So again, the government has kind of set it up where they're like, you could have perfect credit, big down payment, but if you don't have income, we need to find a way to, to do that. So that's kind of been the biggest challenge, but we work with the, the clients and we've got multiple ways to, to make that happen. So in a situation where um, you are trying to verify income, right? I mean, obviously if somebody is working, if it's a married couple and one spouse has passed, right? So now we have one individual, you're leaning on, you know, their income stream. So if they're working, obviously you can verify earned income from an employer or if they own a business um, through tax returns. But what if they're not working? What are the things that you've done, uh, you know, from a creative standpoint to help an individual qualify for their, for a mortgage if they don't have earned income? Excellent question. So as I mentioned, the, the government, they don't care if you got a million dollars in investments, but if it's not generating some form of income, that's a problem with loan approval. So the way that we resolve that challenge is that let's say the client has an IRA with, with Todd. So the nice thing is that what we do and the clients, let's say 59 and a half or older, what we do is we work with Todd to set up a distribution stream out of that IRA. So a lot of people that are, let's say retired, they'll just grab money from the IRA as needed. 
um, you know, different times during the year. But from the lending side, when we can set that up for a systematic monthly withdrawal, we count that just like regular income. So let's say we need, you know, I, I talked to the client, we figure out we need about 4,000 a month to make, to get our loan approval. So we'll have the, the client communicate with Todd to say, okay, let's set up for a $4,000 a month distribution out of my IRA that will flow directly into my checking account on, let's say the 10th of the month. Um, once that's in place, we count that as income. Now, what's the very nice thing is after we successfully help the client purchase and close on the home and they move in and everyone's happy, you don't have to continue to take that $4,000 a month. So as soon as you close, you can reach back out to Todd and say, okay, Todd, this was great. We're thrilled. You know, I'm thrilled that I'm in the new house. We don't longer need the, the 4,000 um, monthly distribution. So that's very important. Once we, we set up for systematic withdrawal, but once we close, you can go back to taking money out of the IRA as needed. So it's just part of the qualification process, right? Of satisfying the needs of the of the mortgage company, uh, showing that you have the income to meet the criteria that's necessary. And then once that's done, if the client no longer has a need for that cash flow to live on every month, but what you're basically saying is they could just shut off that distribution and then can go back to the way they were doing it before, which is take distributions as needed from whatever investment account, right? Correct. That's exactly the way we do it. And again, that as I mentioned, the government's very involved in the the home lending industry. So the nice thing is, and having done this as long as I have, I know the rules and they're they're kind of black and white. So once we know what the rules are and we know what the client situation is, I can find a way to work within those guidelines um, to successfully get the clients the mortgages they need to to acquire that uh, that next home. So let's say, okay, you've got, you, you figured out with a, with a client, you know, you understand their financial situation, understand the, um, the amount of what well, the, the, the mortgage that they could qualify for. Right. And then obviously then what that payment would be in it. And they're comfortable with that. And they've gone out now, they've found a home that they like, and they've made an offer and that offer is accepted by the seller. So now you've got a contract, right? Our, your, our buyer, our client, our buyer has a contract for the purchase of this home and they come back to you and they say, Howard, okay, here we go. What do we do next? What are the next steps in the mortgage process? Great question. So the next step is for the client to, to call me. Um, then what we can do is, you know, maybe need about 10 minutes on the phone. And at that point, I, mean, I will have already had some of the information from when we talked prior to them putting in an offer, but when... When a contract is accepted, I'll speak with the client on the phone, get a feel for, you know, how much they want to put down, little a few specifics about the home, and then as we're talking, I'm kind of filling in a paper mortgage application for the client. I'm very hands-on. So many people in my industry nowadays just tell the client, regardless of age or, you know, previous borrowing experience, they tell them, "Hey, go to my website, click on the start process button, then run from there." I think that's so unfriendly, uh, consumer wise, this is, you know, one of the biggest financial transactions of a client's life. They want to, in my opinion, be able to talk to a professional on the phone, walk them through it. And then I take care of all the data entry, um, and generate the documents the clients would sign. And then I'm very flexible as far as, uh, best way to sign there's, so there's a lot of paperwork involved with getting a mortgage, but with my clients, I let them know, I'm always available during the day, evenings, weekends. If clients are somewhere, you know, within 30 minutes of me and want to come in and, and meet and sign stuff in person, I love meeting clients that way. 
if let's say a client's a little further away or they've got a busy schedule, we have a fantastic e-sign system. You know, a lot of us are getting used to you know, e-sign systems, even if we're not, you know, tech savvy, they're super friendly, uh, easy to use. So if the client says, Hey, I'd rather just e-sign, I'll push off the documents. They can e-sign. And then at this, and the next step too, is we do need some, some documentation. So, you know, these would be like income or asset information. And again, whatever is easiest for the client, if, you know, with Wintrust, who I work for, we've got, you know, over hundred branches. So sometimes they might just drop it off at a branch, preferably mine, but I can get it one way or the other, or documents can be uploaded or sent to me electronically just as well. Or if we need like a tax return, again, I, my whole thing is trying to make, you know, a challenging process as easy as possible. So I'll say, Hey, look, if you could let your accountant know it's okay to talk to me, I'll have the accountant send me the tax return so the client doesn't have to go through that um, burdensome uh, process of trying to upload a 100-page tax return. And so let's say you get this process going, right? At this, you know, in, in the current market and in, in the conditions that you're dealing with, what is the, you know, ballpark average time from, you know, when you start an application to getting to a closing, getting your your client approved and the loan cleared to close, you know, so that they can go to that closing and and feel confident that everything's in place and they'll be able to walk away with the, the keys to their home. Perfect. So typically I like to see about a 40-day time frame from when the contract is accepted or negotiated to the closing date. Now we can do it quicker than that, but the shorter the time period the higher the stress level. So again, it is a little bit of a challenge with all the government rules and the different things going on to get the mortgage. So again, 40 days gives us ample time to go through the process with very little, if any stress. And um, so usually I, I like to see like about 40 days from start to finish. And when, you know, having done this for, for 25 years, you know, plus, I mean, obviously there are things that happen in the process, right. Of, you know, you applying for the mortgage and gathering the information and trying to get to that closing. Obviously there are things that, that come up that can derail the whole process. What are some of the things that just so our listeners are aware that cause problems in the mortgage process that could slow the whole thing down uh, and, and and cause some difficulties of you getting that loan approved and ready to go. Sure. So if, if I've done my job properly from the beginning, I should already have a good handle on credit, income, assets. So we should be, you know, those things that we can control, we should be in good shape there. The one variable, the biggest variable that's out of our control is what's called an appraisal. So if a client agrees to purchase a home, let's just say the, the purchase price is 300,000. Um, we are going to have a licensed appraiser go out, check out that home, compare that home to other homes that have sold and closed. They're going to come up with what's called an appraised value. Um, you know, with some of these elevated prices, we are seeing some appraisals come in low. Um, so let's say the appraisal comes in at 280 instead of 300. A lender is only going to lend based on that 280 number. So the a low appraisal is not, you know, a deal killer necessarily. So in that situation, we, you know, of course, start by trying to have the seller or tell the seller, Hey, that only appraised for this, you know, you need to come down to price. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Um, sometimes we negotiate and split the difference, but low appraisal is the biggest challenge. It does create, you know, a little bit of stress for a day or so. Uh, but then it's, you know, more times than not, the seller kind of agrees to come down a little bit client ends up purchasing the home for less money after all. But the appraisal is the, the low appraisal is the biggest challenge that we have. Um, but again, we, we have ways of working around that, or especially if the client's putting, you know, a decent amount down, 
uh, like more than 20% down, the appraised value is not that critical. Got it. And then obviously, you know, par- participation on both sides, right? So you doing your job of, of getting things in line, but obviously your buyer, the client needs to get you the information in a timely manner so that you can submit everything. Um, one of the things I think, you know, we've talked about in the past and we've seen through some of our clients is, is kind of the last minute stuff, right? I mean, yeah, you know, we've had clients request, you know, they're in the process and they say, Hey, uh, you know, um, my mortgage uh, advisor is telling me I need to send a, a more current statement on my investment account or a bank account. Are you still seeing those kind of requests in the process or, if you're getting that on upfront, um, you know, when you're getting, when you as the mortgage advisor are gathering information from the client, are those still things that are tripping up the process or is that uh, um, not as challenging as it once was? That will occasionally come up. And that's why I like to go with, let's say like a 40 day closing. A lot of real estate agents, you know, are, for a variety of reasons, are pushing for a shorter, you know, twenty-five or thirty-day closing. There are some things that come up, so that's why I do like the longer closings. Um, so if it comes up, it's coming up, you know, weeks before closing, not two days before closing. So there are some things that do come up, but because um, really, what happens is, even though I've got the experience and the knowledge of how to structure these deals and get them approved and closed, we still, you know, I'm not allowed to approve my own loans. That's when there's something called an underwriter involved. So the underwriter is not always going to see eye to eye with the way I'm looking at things. Um, so the loans are still good, but they just might want some additional documentation before they kind of put their name on it and sign off on the transaction. So, you know, those things can come up, but for the most part, we try to limit those um, or if things come up, you know, get them weeks in advance instead of a day or two um, when the stress level is a little bit higher. Great. So um, Howard, is there anything else at this point, you know, I mean, that, that our listeners might need to know about, you know, the mortgage process? I think that the main thing is it just, you know, plan on it being, you know, taking a little time. It's you, you definitely, you know, prepare yourself to disclose a lot of, you know, your financial information. Um, and it's not, the, the lender is not asking because we're nosy and, you know, want to find out more, all kinds of information about you. As, as I mentioned, the government kind of sets these black and white rules as far as what needs to be accomplished to have a, you know, acceptable mortgage in the world. And then it's just a matter of getting that and making it happen. Um, I guess, and one other thing I definitely would like to add is that we do with Wintrust, we're a large financial institution and we do lend in all 50 states. So let's say if a client is thinking about moving, let's say they live in the you know Chicagoland area now and they think they want to move to Arizona, much, much easier for me to take care of that mortgage for the client here locally versus them trying to send all the documents to, to Arizona and things like that. So again, if they ever want to, they can come in and see me in person. It's just much, much more friendly than trying to do something online. Got it. Right. Well, hey, uh, Howard, thanks so much for taking your time uh, to, to share your expertise with us today. Um, we really appreciate it. If one of our listeners would like to reach out to you with questions or learn more how, about how you work with you know your clients, what's the best way for them to contact you? Sure. Best way to reach me is to call me on my cell phone, which is 815-245-7353. Again, that's 815-245-7353. Also, they can email me at any time. And that is at H, like Howard, then Fiedler, F-I-E-D-L-E-R at Wintrust, W-I-N-T-R-U-S-T, Mortgage. Great. Howard, thanks again for joining me today. 
uh, and thank you for listening to the Widowed But Not Alone podcast. I'm Todd Bessie with Creedom Wealth Partners. Please consider subscribing to our podcast so that you can receive updates about our upcoming episodes and share the podcast with friends or family that might benefit from listening as well. If you have any questions about the topics covered in today's conversation and would like to contact me and my team, you can find us at credomwealth.com. That's C-R-E-I-D-I-M wealth.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Widowed But Not Alone. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Integrated Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, doing business as Credom Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor.